Well, hello, everyone. You know, as we're working our way through these early chapters in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, it's becoming pretty clear that God is doing something special in the life of Moses. In fact, uh, I'm intrigued by Exodus 33, verse 11. It says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Imagine that. By the way, Numbers 12, verse 8 says the same thing, that he would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. So as this relationship is building, we pick up a conversation today. I'm going to be reading a few verses from chapter 4 of Exodus, starting in verse 10. And it's a provocative conversation where Moses is basically giving excuses for why he can't do what God is really calling him to do. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Boy, I have so many times, reluctant to step out and do what God is really saying to do. But here we go, chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I, I'll help you speak. I'll teach you what to say. But Moses said, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. <laughs> then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. And then we read on here in verse 18 that Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he begins to make arrangements to go back to Egypt and follow God's call in his life. My premise today is that every one of God's kids has a calling. And so I guess the big question is, are you one of God's kids? Or else this message may not be quite as relevant to you. Do you call Jesus Christ Savior and Lord? Is Jesus your teacher that's what disciples are. They look to Jesus Christ as their teacher, not, not just their savior, not just to punch their ticket to heaven and forgive their sins. It's a daily walk with Jesus where he is our teacher. Every one of God's kids has a call on his or her life. Now, most of us aren't super confident about that. 
We have insecurities and fears. We have doubts. We usually erroneously assume that others are very confident in their call. They're brimming with confidence, but not us. I think that's the reason self-help books, and I've read a million of them, I think that's the reason they're so perennially popular because they promise if you'll just do this, this, and this, jump through these hoops, follow this plan, it will boost your confidence, eliminate your self-doubts, you will soar to heights of success. And you can do all of this with one simple course. I think Moses could have used that course. As we read today's passage, it's pretty clear, boy, he's just feeling very inadequate. But one of the many things I love about the Bible is it it just tells the truth. You're not going to see the scripture kind of prettying things up and and trying to, to go around the bush. It just tells the truth like it is. And Moses, this is the truth. This man we look back on and revere from the perspective of so many centuries later, he did not start off as a great hero of the faith. He started out as a person with tremendous fears and insecurities. And that's why I'm excited about today. Because boy, if you're anything like me, I mean, Moses' story is my story. And I'm convinced that some of you are sensing the call of God in your life, but you're, you're, you're hesitating. And so there's a sense in which as we look at Moses' story today, it's like we're looking into the mirror. We're, we're getting a peek. We're getting a, gl- a glimpse into our own experience as well. Because the common excuses we're going to see here from Moses are the same ones that, that we tend to recycle and and use over and over again today. So the first one, as we walk through them, I want you to just kind of check yourself and see if you've ever used any of these or or using them now. The first one is found in Exodus 3, verse 11, where Moses essentially says, look, I am not a likely candidate for this. Verse 11 reads, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, of course, the irony of that attitude is that there was a time when he thought he was the man. At about the age of 40, I mean, he was brimming with confidence. He was writing the self-help books, if you will. In fact, later in Acts chapter 7, in what we call the New Testament, as Stephen, the first Christian martyr, is standing before the Sanhedrin council. Look at what he says about Moses here in Acts 7. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so... Since he's the man, he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought, and this is an insight we only get from Stephen in Acts 7, Moses thought 
that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. And then the brutal words, but they did not. Moses thought he was all that, the deliverer with a capital D, but his fellow Hebrews did not. And they just said, no, you're not all that, and we're not going to follow you. Apparently, they were quite unimpressed and unconvinced that Moses could do this. So he kills the Egyptian overseer, hoping they would be inspired to action, but they're not. And so Moses has to flee for his life. And as we've seen already, he goes to Midian and spends 40 years of his life tending sheep in the middle of nowhere. And this is what I imagine. Now, the Bible doesn't say this. This is my imagination. I imagine that in every year that goes by of those 40 years, he has less and less confidence now that he can do anything, anything for God. He just is feeling more and more inadequate. And again, I think that's why today's story is so universally relevant. See, every one of God's kids has a call. That is true. But we have to discover this truth that Moses was about to discover. And it's that if we're going to be effective in this call, we've got to go beyond our own inadequacy and learn to trust that God is adequate for whatever he's called us to do. By the way, that is a macro theme in the Bible, not a little side issue. That is one of the big salient points. That is a major macro theme in Scripture, that I'm inadequate, but God is adequate for all of my inadequacy. In fact, uh, Paul makes this amazing statement in 2 Corinthians, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Folks, that's just flat out crazy. That's illogical. That is nonsensical. But it's true. But it's true. And every one of God's kids, and I hope you understand I'm using kids as people from 13 to 45 to 95. If you belong to Jesus, you're one of God's kids. Every one of God's kids must discover and appropriate this principle on our own if we're to experience the power of God working through our lives effectively. Real fruit that remains over the long haul comes from God's adequacy being expressed through our inadequacy. Paul says a lot more about this. Chapter three, he says, not that we are competent. What? This is the apostle Paul talking. This is the guy who went around all of the Middle Eastern area, all these different regions and countries and cities. This is the guy who convinced people that Jesus was the way, the truth. And he says, we're not competent. Put that in your self-help pipe and smoke it. <laughs> we're not competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes 
from God. The King James puts that our sufficiency is of God. So where does all this competence that we need to live a dynamic Christian life come from? It comes from God himself. Paul makes so many statements about this. Again, from 2 Corinthians, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It doesn't say you'll just get by. It doesn't say you'll just be able to survive in the Christian life. This verse is describing a life of flourishing in every good way. And don't forget, it all comes from God. Oh, it's such an important lesson because I'm talking to some men and women today who are kind of a lot like Moses. You've got connections, you've got influence. Like Moses, perhaps you're physically powerful. You've got some of the best education that people can get. You're attractive, you're eloquent in speech, but Moses had to discover that none of that'll get the job done. Aren't you glad you came to church? Don't you feel good about yourself right now? I'm telling you, you're not competent. I'm telling you, you can't do it. I'm telling that in spite of all those things you think you got going for you as you look in the mirror, it ain't gonna get the job done. Hallelujah. Feeling good? A divine call requires divine empowerment. Henrietta Mears was a giant of the faith. This woman was the director of Christian education for Hollywood Presbyterian Church for decades. What a woman. I mean, this, she was just a juggernaut. She was amazing. She was uh, uh, this rock of the faith. And she summed up Moses' life better than anybody I've ever heard. She said, for the first 40 years, Moses thought he was somebody. For the second 40 years, he discovered that he was nobody. And the final 40 years, he discovered what God can do through a confessed nobody. And that sums it up better than I've ever heard. When we discover the truth, and often this only comes through bitter experience of failure, by the way, like with Moses, it often comes through tears and brokenness, but when we really discover this, the truth in an experiential way that we can't, but God can, it makes all the difference. Then we're ready to be useful to God. But that was his first excuse. Uh, we'll look at the second, second one a little bit faster. Moses said, I'm not a deeply informed candidate. I just don't have enough information or knowledge here to be able to do this job. He says in verse 13, uh, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? What shall, I, what, what, what shall I tell them? By the way, this is a common feeling, again, among believers. In surveys that the Billy Graham organization has done through decades now, when they've asked Christians, why do you, 
just, just your opinion now, why do you think you don't share your faith more often with people? Do you know what the number two, number one and number two responses are? By far. There's no other responses that even come close to these. Number one, I don't know what to say. Number two, I'm afraid to say it. Hands down, those two reasons are given by Christians as to why we're not a little more eager and active and robust in sharing our faith or communicating it with people who maybe don't share the faith. Don't know what to say. And even if I did, I'm afraid to say it. Again, it's like looking in the mirror today, isn't it? I mean, have you ever used the excuse that you don't know enough? I don't know what to say what if they start asking me questions and I can't answer their questions? What if I end up looking like a fool and they just tie me up in knots? Christian, here's the good news. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, can I give you a little tip? Nobody has all the answers. Moses just had to share what he knew and what he had experienced. And the same is true with us. But there's a third objection he comes with here, and that is, I'm not a believable candidate. This is kind of a question of credibility. We get now into chapter four in verse one, where Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? What, what if they don't, God, God, what if they don't think my story is credible? I mean, maybe they'll just think I'm a fruitcake or something, you know? I mean, I have been gone for 40 years. If I just show up all sunburned, you know, with my hair wild in the wind and say, I'm on a mission from God. Remember the old movie Blues Brothers? Jake and Elwood want to get the band back together, they show up with all their old buddies and cronies and say, we're on a mission from God. Well, maybe, maybe they just think I'm nuts. I'm a candidate for the insane asylum. And some of us use the excuse, look, uh, nobody's going to believe a person like me anyway. So what credentials do I have? So how can I do this thing I think God wants me to do? And in response, God gives Moses three signs that he can use to boost his believability. And, and if you've read this, you, you know what they are. One, we kind of talked about last week, that his staff would turn into a snake. The other is that he would put his hand inside his cloak, pull it out, and it would be leprous, an incurable disease in that culture, He'd put it back into his cloak, pull it out again, and the leprosy would be gone. What a sign. And the third was that he would pour water on the ground and it would turn to blood. Now, these are pretty impressive signs. I mean, leprosy is this incurable disease. So when Moses puts his hand in there, pulls it out, puts it back, pulls it out, it's the leprosy's gone. I mean, that is pretty impressive. Read in chapter four, and verse eight, then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, hey, they may believe the second. It'll get their attention, Moses. 
And these are not illusionist tricks. This is not a little magic show here that God's giving Moses to do. The conjurers, by the way, in Egypt could replicate some of these signs through demonic power. But the point of these signs, I'm convinced, was to prove to Moses just as much as to anyone else that God is the one at work here. The power is coming from God, not from Moses. It's as though God is saying, look, Moses, just obey me and leave the issue of who eventually believes. Just trust me, leave that up to me. Boy, that's a, that's a big one for us because we get so attached to the outcomes. We have our ego attached to how people are gonna respond to us and it defeats us every time. We gotta leave the results and the outcomes to God. Our job is to be faithful. Our job is to take care of the faithfulness of our ministry. God's job is to take care of the fruitfulness. Big, big lesson. But the excuses just keep on coming. Here's the fourth one. I'm not, God, I'm not an articulate candidate. He says here in chapter four, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, isn't that weird? Remember, remember Stephen's speech, Acts 7? That's where we get a lot of insight into Moses. And Stephen had said in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, it says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And no, notice this. He was powerful in speech. So Moses, according to Moses, he's just a louse when it comes to talking in front of people. According to Stephen, he's a dynamo. So, which is true? Hey, Christian, just, let me just have your attention for one moment. Can I tell you something? I know of, of being in Christian ministry for decades and walking this walk for decades of my own life. Can I tell you something I've learned? You can actually start believing lies about yourself. Some of you right now, just telling the truth, are being held back from what God wants you to do and be and become because you're actually believing lies about yourself. Moses probably honestly believed that he was not articulate. He probably honestly believed that. But the truth of the matter was, he was powerful in speech and action. The truth of the matter is, not, no one knows everything. But sometimes we're reluctant to say, I don't know. We don't want to come across as ignorant or uninformed. But Moses is saying, look, I'm just not all that articulate. And then in verse 11, we read, the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. I just have to chuckle at this point in the story. Every time Moses 
give some objection, and they're becoming pretty predictable now, aren't they? For every insufficiency Moses cites, God says, I'm sufficient for that. Moses just, I mean, he's just stuck in a rut here. We are so predictable. Can't, can't, can't. Every time Moses says, I can't, God says, well, I can. Moses comes back in. Well, God, I can't. God says, but I can. I can do that. And by the way, that's about all you need to live a dynamic Christian life. You can't. God can. God bless you. We're going to wrap up today. Okay, let's close in prayer, all right? You can't. God can. God gives gifts to his people, and he intends us to use those for his purposes, but we've got to remember these lessons. No matter how impressive a person's God-given gifts are, the power must come from God alone. The authority is never in the person herself or himself. It's always in the God who calls and empowers. But there's one final objection here I want us to note that Moses gives. He says, I'm not an eager candidate. Verse 13, but Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Pretty clear, Moses just doesn't want to do this. Not only is he not eager, he is downright resistant to God's call. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you make of reluctant leaders? What do you think about a leader that is reluctant to be a leader? I I don't know what you'd say to that, but I'll tell you, I've come to respect leaders who have a little bit of reluctance in them. I think a little bit of reluctance is healthy. It usually means a person realizes the importance of the task and they don't want to screw it up. It usually means they aren't driven so much by ego or their own selfish agenda. But listen, when reluctance turns to disobedience, that is a problem. And that's what's happening here in our story today. And so God is just not pleased. Verse 14 is very clear. It says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. God's not pleased when we just throw up one excuse after the other of how we can't serve God. That's not humility. That's not appropriate reluctance. That is flat out disobedience. Now, God's probably not going to call anybody listening to me right now to something that is the scope of what he was calling Moses to do. It's pretty unlikely, could be, but pretty unlikely. Probably not going to use you to lead over two million people out of bondage somewhere. You know what I'm saying? But maybe. But make no mistake today, my premise is that every one of God's kids has a call. And I, I, I can really identify with Moses' reluctance. 
<laughs> holding in my hand here something it says on the front, poems, poems, and it says Rex Keener. And, and this is an old folder. I mean, this is, this is really falling apart here. I pulled this out this morning. Didn't know if I'd show you this or not, but brought it out of the archives this morning. And this is from the fifth grade. In fact, the first entry here in my handwriting in the fifth grade is September the 9th, 1970, okay? And this is Mrs. Newton's fifth grade class. And one of the things that Mrs. Newton had us fifth graders do in Lawrenceburg Public School was to memorize a poem every week and to recite it in front of the class. Now, the poem had to be at least 12 lines, and, and I'm looking at one here. I don't, I don't know if you can. We also had to illustrate it. <laughs> Woo! Can you see that illustration work? This is Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. You know that poem? Whose woods are these? I think I know his house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near between the woods and da-da-da-da, uh, this darkest evening of the year. I need Mrs. Newton again to help me. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. And then that last four lines, the woods are lovely. I'll bet you could say it with me. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. Mrs. Newton, and it was probably ingenious on her part because there were so many wonderful learning aspects to this. There are 35 poems in here. And every week, each member of Mrs. Newton's fifth grade class on Friday afternoon had to recite in front of our classmates and Mrs. Newton, we had to stand up without any notes, and recite our poem of at least 12 lines. Some of the ones in here have like 30 lines. But this, this is a 16-line one right here. At least 12 lines. Can I tell you something? I hated this assignment. My palms sweated. My heart raced. I literally was miserable until this was over on Friday, and then it happened all over again. 35 stinking weeks in a row. Now, don't miss my point. Nobody, nobody would have looked at me in the fifth grade and said, I'll tell you what, about, see that guy right there? See that farm kid right there? I'll tell you right now, one of his primary callings in life is gonna be public proclamation. <laughs> I was miserable. And even later, when I sensed God's call to preach, my greatest concern was how in the world am I gonna go through the emotional torture of speaking in public every week? I can't do that. But God has been gracious to me. And you know, we find that when we confront our fears and accept God's call, we learn we can't. God can. 
And that doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. In fact, as you read on in the story, you see, as Moses finally began to obey, it wasn't all roses. It wasn't goosebumps and glory every morning before breakfast. In fact, things got worse before they got better. He goes and confronts Pharaoh, and out of spite and revenge, Pharaoh takes away the straw of the people. Formerly, he gave them straw to make the bricks with. Now they had to go get their own straw and still keep the same quota. And the people are going, Moses, we were better off before you got our involved. Why don't you just go back to the desert, man, and leave us alone? Those sheep need you a lot more than we do. And if Moses had been res responsible to a board of directors at that point, you know what? They would have fired him. They would have said, dude, your resume looked impressive, but obviously the last 40 years tending sheep have ruined you. You don't seem to have a leadership bone in your body, man. You don't have any emotional intelligence. What's wrong? You're a total failure, man. We're gonna let you go with a nice severance package. We're gonna let you go and look for another leader who can get the job done. But brothers and sisters, as God's call is on your life, whatever that is, please remember you cannot measure work in God's kingdom with exactly the same metrics that you measure a business. Because there's a whole lot more intangibles at work. And God's metrics are often very different than ours. So as I close today, let me ask you, what is God calling you to do? I'm convinced Every one of God's kids has a call. Oh, it's not gonna make headlines all the time. No, 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 no. It may be quiet and behind the scenes. But the road of obedience is probably gonna be difficult. It certainly was for Moses. But if we've learned anything from today's passage, it ought to be this, that the execution of that call happens only as God's adequacy is expressed through our inadequacy. When we are weak, then he is strong. When we are weak, his strength is perfected through our weakness. Father, I'm talking to many dear brothers and sisters today, and I'm convinced that you're tapping them on the shoulder, whispering in their ear, stirring the atmosphere in their soul, and you are calling them, getting them ready for some assignment. It may be to have a conversation, to walk across the street, to start a new organization, to start a new ministry, to start a new small group. It may be to kind of begin a whole new different way of living at home and stop doing certain things and start doing others. Your call can be grand and glorious or it can be fairly mundane. But all God's kids have a call. Like Moses, help us to learn the lesson that it's only when we face our inadequacy and embrace your adequacy that we can say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord, would you do glorious things in us and through us, and may you get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.